together for the body when we get together for services. All right, they're not they're not necessarily uh, individual kind of things. They're how we operate together. Then we're la- uh, last week we looked at uh, 1 Corinthians 14. We looked at how these gifts are operating, going back and forth between this. And I want to I want to use this morning as a as a summation to kind of bring it all together and look at this and say this is this is this is to to reemphasize a few things and to also focus on why and what and all this kind of stuff. So we're going to go to the chapter in the middle, 13, and we're going to look at this. This is called the love chapter, and it puts the emphasis on love. It says if you're going to operate in the gifts of the Spirit in 12, you need to understand that love is the foundation of this, and then this is how it's going to work. And so we're going to focus in on, on uh, some of this in 1 Corinthians 13. Now, I'm going to start in verse 8. We'll, we'll get back around to the first couple of verses later, but I, the, the, the part of chapter 13 that gets the most play, I'm not going to focus on this morning, just because it, that's a whole different message within itself, and, it's, and it's a, it could be a whole week series uh, kind of thing. But, but that's the part where it says, love is kind, love is patient, love picks up your socks, love cleans the kitchen, vacuums the car, you know, the, love does all. So, so that's that section of scripture. Some of you are like, it says that? Um, but I'm going to jump down a little bit past that, and we're going we're gonna to focus in on, on this a little bit. In verse 8 of 1 Corinthians 13, and we know that God has given us his word. He's given us his uh, spirit. He told us in Acts 1-8, the plan of how to, the, the, the outline of how to reach the world, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. He's given us all this. And then he gives us um, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be able to pursue God and reach people. That's our plan as a church. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to pursue God and we're trying to reach people. And the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit to us as a corporate body help us do that. And, and over the last few weeks, I think we've ca- we captured this a little bit. I'm going to try to focus in again. This is how we, we reach out to God and this is how we interact with God, with the people that God created, Christians and non-Christians, is how we do this. We're trying to get people to know that Jesus loves them. He died for them. This isn't about church. This isn't about um, some kind of ministry or something. This is about the fact that Jesus loves people. And we as human beings are self-destructive. We, we hurt ourselves more than we help ourselves. And he's trying to say, I can get you to know God. I can get you to reach out to God. Well, one of the tools that he gives us is the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the process of this. So, in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, it says, Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now, this is a very important little part of Scripture, this little section I'm going to go through, because there's a, <clears throat> there's a uh, very difference of opinion in the church world. Now, the, I would say that they're all Christians are all people trying to serve God, but they have, there's two major thought processes that are exactly the opposite when it comes to this. Um, the, the one side is what's called Calvinism. John Calvin came up with this um, 200 years ago, 250 years ago, and he, and he was processing this, trying to uh, establish a, a way of looking at the Bible, a way of uh, interpreting the Bible, understanding the, the Bible, specifically the New Testament. And there, there's, there, he's got five, what's called the five pillars of Calvinism. And, and if you've ever studied this, it's actually the, the letters of the word tutelage. To, T-U-L-I-P, and they, they all have a different theological thing. Of all of those five mentalities, I agree with none of them. I think they're all completely opposite, and they're wrong. Um, now, again, I'm not saying they're not Christians. I'm, I'm just saying they, they, they look at it the totally opposite. He had a student by the name of Jacob Arminius that actually wrote um, a whole other set of theological understanding, which became known later as Arminianism, Right? We're Arminianists, right? You're like, I did not know that. You are. 
we have the right to bear Arminianism. So that's, that's, what, that's what we are as Arminianists, right? Now, basically, Jacob has said, I don't agree with any of his five things, and he put the exact opposite down. Let me give you some examples. One of the pillars, one of the, the, uh, the letters is L. It's a limited atonement. Calvinists believe that Jesus only died for some people. We don't believe that. We believe Jesus died for everybody. Every human on the planet, doesn't matter, matter whether they're rich or poor or from a Christian nation or not from a Christian nation or however you want to put that. Jesus Christ died for every single person. These are very important theological things. We don't believe in a predestination mentality that you're going to either get saved or not get saved according to how you were predestined. I believe when Paul uses the word predestined, he means that he said that every, that every person was predestined to know God. Right? Every, Jesus died for everybody. We also don't believe in unlimited, eternal, I mean, uh, unconditional eternal security. We believe that we, while your eternity is secure in Jesus Christ, it's totally dependent upon you because we believe in free will. We believe you make the choices. It's not all just predestined. I, I had a Presbyterian pastor friend of mine years ago that, that would say this all the time, like you'd like be walking into a building or something. If he had trip on something, he'd say, whoo, I'm glad I got that over with. They believe in predestination. That was supposed to happen anyway. I don't believe that. You could have just picked your foot up a little bit more. Right? So, so it's the same thing. And here's an important theological thing. We believe in free will before you get saved, and we believe in free will after you get saved. We believe in free will. You can make any decision any time of your life, any time you want to, whether to serve God or not serve God. Do I believe my salvation is, is eternally secure? Yes, as long as my heart is fashioned on, on after Christ. As long as my heart is his, I'm eternally secure. I don't have to worry about it. Okay? So, so some of that, as it began to unfold, Arminianism set the stage for, for the uh, Wesley boys to come along and, uh, and develop what's called Wesleyanism. And from that came some of the holiness movements, came some of the, the uh, Purit uh, Puritans from the Northeast, all this stuff. And it became, set the stage for what we call the modern Pentecostal outpouring that happened in the late, 19, uh, late 1800s, early 1900s. Right? All of that stuff was set. The stage was set for that. Now, going back to the Calvinists, they came up with a doctrine that was called cessationism. It used to be very strong and popular in, in theological ranks in the United States. It's not anymore. It's become almost, it's just a small little select few professors and seminaries nowadays. But most people don't really believe this because we understand it's not true. Here's, here's the mentality of cessationism, that there are certain things in the New Testament that ceased, cessation, ceased at a certain time frame. And there's different mentalities, there's different philosophies of this. The, the, the basic two strong ones are uh, it all ceased when the, finish, the finishing of the New Testament. And the other one is, and this, there's variances of this one, is this all ceased when the, uh, when the last apostle died, okay, at the end of the apostolic age. Uh, we don't believe that. We believe if you read something in the New Testament, that can happen today just as simple and as easy and should be just as common today as it was in the New Testament. If you see somebody healed in the New Testament, you can see somebody healed today. You see somebody saved in the New Testament, they can be saved today. You see somebody filled with the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, same today. You see somebody uh, operating the gifts of the Holy Spirit, same today. So all the stuff that's written in the New Testament, it's for today, is exactly the same as it was in the New Testament. We don't believe that it ceased, okay? Now, with all of that said, let's go to 1 Corinthians 13, because everything I've been talking about the last few weeks would be determined in how you understand the process of the theology of cessation. Do you believe this stuff is for today or not? Do you believe things like prophecy or tongues or any of that kind of stuff is for today or not? 
This little section of Scripture is one of the major sections of Scriptures that cessationism used to be built upon. And interestingly, I personally believe, and I've used this in, in, in seminary settings and things like that, that I believe that this is actually the set of Scripture you should use to, to prove that it hasn't ceased. It actually does the opposite. So we're going to walk down through this, and then we're going to kind of sum up everything I've been talking about the last few weeks. Verse 8, 1 Corinthians 13 again. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages, speaking in tongues, and special knowledge, word of knowledge, will become useless. But love will last forever. So if it's going to become useless, if it is going to cease, when is that? Because it does say it's going to cease. So when? Now, right now, and Paul is writing this, now our knowledge is partial and incomplete. Our knowledge is partial and incomplete. And even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when full understanding comes, these partial things will become useless. Now this is where the, the Calvinist theologians or the cessationists would say that this, this, when our knowledge becomes complete, these things will be done away with. That's at the end of what's called the canon or what we call the New Testament or the completion of Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament together. We call that the canon. Canon means a ruler that you set up against and measure things. Okay, So at the completion of the Bible... Our understanding is now, this is what they would say, our understanding is now complete. It used to be partial and incomplete, but once we have the Bible, our, our full understanding has now come, and these partial things will become useless. And then he says, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. In other words, there comes a moment when you don't need these things anymore because you become, uh, uh, you become mature, become an adult. Right? You, you have grown up, All right. which is actually a hint to the whole thing. Verse 11, I mean verse, verse 12, now, right now we see things imperfectly as in a cloudy mirror, visually see, but also cognitively understand and spiritually understand things uh, imperfectly as in a cloudy mirror. But then, looking back to verse 9, when this, when this knowledge is now complete, then... We will see everything with perfect clarity. Now, it's interesting that the cessationists take verse 12 and move it into a whole other category and they leave 8, 9, and 10 together. When that perfect thing has come, we won't, we won't need tongues and prophecy and, and words of wisdom and knowledge and stuff like that. Because why? We'll have perfected knowledge. We'll get it all. We'll understand it. And then in verse 12, he says, right now we don't even see things clearly. Adam and Eve, when they sinned, that we immediately our eyes were closed. Adam and Eve walked with God. They could see God with their physical eyes. I mentioned this um, a couple weeks ago. Our physical eyes were designed by God to see him, but I can't see him. Our physical eyes were designed by God to see angels and demons and the Holy Spirit, but I can't see him. Why? Because when Adam and Eve sinned, that sin covered their, put a veil over their eyes, or as uh, verse 13, uh, 12 says here, um, I'm sorry, yeah, verse 12, it says, it became like a cloudy mirror or a smoky glass. I can't see. I know there's a God. I know there's spiritual stuff. I know that this stuff is real, but I can't see it. So if, if that perfection has come and we no longer need tongues and, and um, uh, prophecy and words of wisdom because that perfect knowledge has come and now we're not seeing partial and incomplete, why can't you see God? If what was being talked about in verse 9 
was this partial incomplete. We're waiting for God's word. Once we have God's word, we have, we have complete knowledge now. And now I can see everything. Why can't you see God? Why can't you see demons? Why can't you see angels? The reason is because that perfect knowledge, or really the, what the way the Greek says it is, that perfection that brings knowledge has not come yet. That's what that means. That's why I know this just by getting up in the day and realizing I still can't see God today. So that perfection that has brought understanding, perfect understanding, apparently is not here yet. It's not God's Word. God's Word is perfect knowledge, but that doesn't mean we get it perfectly. We're still looking through a cloudy mirror. We're still looking through a dim glass. I can't see everything. I can't understand everything. That's why I need help. That's why I need the gifts. That's why I need special knowledge, wisdom, understanding. That's why I need the gifts of the Holy Spirit, prophecy, tongues. That's why we need miracles. The same thing with healing. When that which is perfect brings complete perfect knowledge, we will be in perfection and you won't need healing either. You won't need miracles. You won't need any of that. Why? Because that, that perfection that comes and brings perfect understanding is not the Word. It's Jesus. When we step into the presence of Jesus, that, that cloudy mirror, that, that fog that's keeping us from seeing him will be taken away and we will see Jesus. We will see God. We will stand with him. And then we won't need prophecy. Because why? Prophecy is a declaration of God. Prophecy is de declaring God. Most people think about prophecy as being like future telling. A very, very tiny sliver in Scripture, a prophecy is future telling. Most of it is just declaring God. Usually, prophecy brings people to repentance. Okay? So, we won't need prophecy. Why? We'll be standing in the face of Jesus. We, don't, we won't need to talk about him. He's there. Just look at him. We won't need tongues as a ringing of the bell to tell the message that God is about to speak to us through an interpretation or word of knowledge or word of wisdom or something. Why? Because Jesus will be standing there. We won't need those things. You won't need healing. Because he'll be standing there. The healer is in your presence. You don't need to pray for healing then. You'll be in perfected bodies. You'll, you'll have the, the, the new body that he's going to give. And so when, when it says here that we're waiting for that perfect knowledge, or that perfection that brings understanding to us, that's Jesus himself that we're talking about. And then we won't need all these other things. So guess what? Until you can see God with your physical eyes, until and I don't mean like you see it in your heart or your spirit, or, but, but you can literally see God. Until that happens, you're going to need tongues, you're going to need interpretation, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, understanding, faith, gift of faith, miracles, healing. You're going to need all this stuff because we are still limited people in a limited physical body on this limited earth, and we need help. And that's why we need the gifts. That's the point of this. He says, all that I know now, this is Paul. You realize Paul knows more than all of us put together. He wrote it. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And he is the one that's saying, all that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely. He can't be talking about the Word of God because he wrote it. He's saying, when we get to that point, when we step into the presence of Jesus, then I will know everything completely. Just as God now knows me completely, these three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Do you realize that the other things won't last because they don't need to last? Faith, hope, and love will last 
through eternity. Tongues, interpretation, miracles, all that kind of stuff leads us up to eternity. But we don't need it through eternity. But faith, hope, and love you'll need through eternity. That's why he said those will last forever. So let me sum all this up. Let me sum these last three weeks up. And how do I know that this is a good summation? Because verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 14 says, Well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize. That's how astute I am theologically. I picked right up on this. So we're going to sum this up. When you meet together, one will sing, another will teach, another will tell some special revelation God has given, one will speak in tongues, another will interpret what's said. But everything that is done must strengthen all of you. Now, I was going to take this down a little bit different road, but this scripture and one other scripture will get this done for us in this context. And I was going to focus on all the places in the New Testament that talk about um, you being give, giving gifts, that God gives you this gift. And, and when you go to specifically 1 Corinthians 12, there's two places actually in 1 Corinthians, um, and then also in Galatians, when you go to the places that talk about the corporate gifts, the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, those are to the body. There's actually dozens and dozens of gifts mentioned all through Scripture, gifts of helps, gifts of, of uh, ministry to other people, all these different uh, gifts of kindness, all this other kind of stuff. I'm not going to go down that road, but, but just to say this, there's a lot of ways that the Holy Spirit uses us, but when we come together corporately, he has a limited little list here because he's trying to get something done specifically within the corporate body. But listen to this again. He says, when you meet together, one will sing, one will teach, and then he goes over uh, the things that are included in the gifts, uh, the corporate gifts in, in 1 Corinthians 9. Why am I saying it this way? Singing and teaching are not included in the nine gifts that he mentions just two chapters before as the gifts to the body. So why is he mentioning this again? Why is he mentioning it now? Seems to be for the first time. Because he's saying, okay, now let me sum it all up. Let me put all of this together. When you meet together, there needs to be certain things that you do. The gifts of the Spirit are going to be part of that. But there's also going to be some other things that are not gifts of the Spirit, but you're still operating in the anointing of the Holy Spirit, which is seeing when we worship God, we sing, we should expect that to be a spiritual thing. It says worshiping in spirit and in truth. So it's from the Holy Spirit, and it's anointed by the Holy Spirit, and we would expect all of it to be connected together in anointing mentality. In other words, singers, musicians, uh, people out here, all of this. Uh, teaching, that's what I do. Now, some people call it preaching. In fact, I've had people over the years say, you're not much of a preacher, but you're a good teacher. That basically means from past Pentecostal charismatic backgrounds, I don't run and jump and yell a whole lot. That's what that means. So rather than knowing how to qualify this, people say, well, I guess you're just a good teacher. I'm like, the best? But either way. So I'll be honest with you, years ago, I'm saying years ago, 25 plus years ago, I actually practiced being like a certain type of preacher. I had a pastor when I first became very first church I was ever youth pastor at, had me a big stack of cassettes, and he said, these are Jimmy Swaggart, learn how to preach like him. And I was like, okay, because I didn't know. I didn't know that was dumb advice. I thought, all right. So I would listen to Jimmy Swaggart, and I would, all right, God, come into this. But, you know, and I would practice that. I'm not kidding, okay? And then after a while, I was like, you know what? I found another guy that I like a lot better. His name was Rod Parsley. Most of you probably don't even know who he is. But he was uh, from Georgia. Uh, no, I think he was from Columbus, Ohio, actually. And, and, uh, and uh, he different, but he sounded like he was from Georgia was why I said it. And I used to press. I used to listen to him preach. And I, would, I, I used to run and jump and yell when I preached. 
I did that. And I would get all excited, and, I, and, then, and I'd just try to preach just like a rot parsley would try to preach. By the way, that's a pretty good imitation, <laughs> just, so you don't, just so you know. And I would practice that, and then one day I realized, that's not me. And if there's one thing that I've been majorly critical of the church since I was, I was old enough to know what the church was, as a four or five-year-old, I've been critical of the church, is hypocrisy. Being fake. Not being real, not being you. And so over a handful of years, I began. And I'm not saying that Rod is not really Rod and that, that um, Jimmy's not really Jimmy. That's them. I'm not judging them. I'm saying me. But I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing here. We sing, I teach, and then we need these other things. Why am I putting it all together? Because, because what we do is we put the gifts of the Holy Spirit in like a separate category for uh, special, super spiritual church moments when in reality they're supposed to be involved in every single one of our church services with the same equality as singing. We sing in church. Do we? Yes. Do we have uh, teaching in church? Yes. Why? Because we're trying to be a biblical church. That's not something the church created. That's actually written down here. And then he says, another will tell some special revelation as God has given. Do we do that? Not very often around here. We need to. We have some. But you understand that until we get this stuff on the list added to this, we're not really being a biblical church. We're being some biblical. When we sing, we're being some biblical. When we teach, we're being some biblical. But there are more that we've le- we're leaving out than what we're including. Another will tell a special revelation God has given. One will speak in tongues. Another will interpret what's said. But everything that is done must strengthen all of you. And then he explains this. No more than two or three should speak in tongues. They must speak one at a time, and someone must interpret what they say. Now, there's a bunch of stuff packed in this sentence. One is, you're in control. I mentioned this last week. You're in control of you. Speaking in tongues is not an out-of-body experience. It's not. You're not levitating. There's not uh, some... Uh, thing that's controlling you. It's not that kind of thing. Okay, this is, this is listening to what the Holy Spirit is putting in your spirit and then praying that, singing that, or whatever, as I mentioned last week, as he talks about. Okay, So this corporate gift of tongues, we're supposed to have a message in tongues. Now he says here that no more than two or three should speak in tongues. And if you do, then first it needs to be one at a time, and then you need to interpret it. All right? Now, again, as I talked about last week, interpretation doesn't mean you understood what they said. It specifically mentions in top of this chapter that you won't understand what's being said. Okay? Now, why am I putting this here? Why is this important? Because uh, that means you're in control, but it also means that at the time when Paul was addressing this, this was the common practice. Everybody was speaking in tongues, everybody's speaking in tongues in church, and everybody was actually trying to operate in the gift of tongues. And Paul said, hey, this is a good idea, you guys are doing the right thing, but let's, let's limit it to two or three. The reason that I say that is because I've had people ask me over the years, well, what if this gets out of control and we, we can't handle this or whatever? Okay, I'm the pastor. I, I have specific instructions. Our board, our leadership has specific instructions of how to take care of this. One is we're going to try to limit it to two or three. But guys, we're nowhere near that around here. So why, why would, and, and, I, and nobody has actually asked that here uh, recently, okay? 
But I'm saying if that question comes up, we'll take care of it. But let's get to the two or three before we worry about it. We're averaging about one every couple months. That means, I'm not being uh, facetious or critical here. This is just real. That means, for the most part, we are not being a biblical church. It's not that we're not trying, but we're not. Because he says, when you meet, this is what needs to be here. Now, be careful with the tongues thing because after you get to two or three, it can get a little confusing. So let's limit it to two or three. So guys, let's strive toward that. Here, here, let me say it this way. Let's strive toward half of that. One and a half tongues per service. Some of you are like, I'll do the half. All right. They must speak one at a time. Someone must interpret what they say. But if no one is present who can interpret, and, and actually the right way to translate that would be that, that if no one is present who will interpret. Remember, interpreting the message in tongues is not understanding what the person said. It's hearing God in your heart and saying what God is saying, just like the person that gave the message in tongues heard in their heart. They didn't know what they were saying either. You don't know what they're saying. But then you go, wait a second, I think God is saying this to us. All right? But if no one is present who will interpret, be open, receptive, submitted, and just listen to the Holy Spirit, they must be silent in your church meeting and speak in tongues to God privately. So if there's not interpretation, and we see this pattern develop over a time frame, then we need to, we need to encourage the person that's given the message in tongues to interpret or encourage other people to interpret. And I promise we won't get to that place in our church because I'll just stop and wait till we get the interpretation. And we'll just keep waiting and, and asking. Somebody in here has got it? Who's got it? And 20 people are going to have it in their head. They're going to have it in their heart. They know what it is, but they're scared to step out. Well, we'll just be patient. We can skip lunch, dinner, and Monday morning work. Um, I joke a little bit about it, but guys, it really, is, it really is your choice and your submission. It's not, we try to over-spiritualize it, mystify it, when it's actually very common and understandable, but it is supernatural. Okay? So, he says, again, we see where there's a choice involved. It must be silent. But then the last part says, when it says, he must be silent in church meeting and speak in, speak to, to, in tongues to God privately. There is never Anywhere in any of this over these last two chapters that I've been talking, including 13, there's nowhere that it says don't speak in tongues. It says for a public gift of tongues limited to two or three, and if there's no interpretation, then you in your church meeting where you're singing and teaching and giving words and knowledge and everything else, then you speak to, the, to God privately in tongues. But we're all supposed to be uh, speaking in tongues throughout the service. In, to yourself, in your own mind, your own heart. That's what he was said, and I'm going to mention again in a little bit, where he says, I choose. I am choosing. I will sing in the Spirit, and I will sing in my own language. I will pray in the Spirit, and I will pray in my own language. That's tongues. Pray in tongues, my own language. Sing in tongues, sing in my own language. Okay? So he says, then, then just speak in tongues privately. Let two or three people prophesy, and let others evaluate what is said. This is one of those weird things that I've watched in the church world forever, where, where people say, uh, well, you shouldn't judge each other. Usually those are the people judging, by the way, but um, you shouldn't judge each other. 
The Bible doesn't actually say that one sentence where it says, don't judge unless you be judged. He doesn't say don't judge people. He says if you judge people, you're going to be held accountable for it, for what you judged. In other words, if you think all people should be blue, then you're going to be held accountable for being blue. That's what it means. Many, many places in Scripture it says evaluate this, judge what's going on, uh, test the spirits, all this other kind of thing that we see all through Scripture. It says here, if, if two or three, let two or three people prophesy, but everyone else evaluate what's being said. Pay attention to what's being said. Is it legit or not? Because you're, you're taking this moment and saying this is a God moment. You better be listening to the Holy Spirit to, to whether it actually is a God moment or whether somebody just... Feeling worshipy at that moment, which is not bad, by the way. But is this truly a word of God to us? Is this a word of knowledge or something else? You're supposed to evaluate it. Pay attention to it. But if someone is prophesying, now again, the definition of prophesying is just declaring God. Okay, If someone is prophesying and another person receives a revelation from the Lord, which lets you know that prophecy can be completely just from what you know about God and how you are declaring God to someone else uh, under the Holy Spirit. But is it special revelation? Not necessarily. There can be many times, and they are good moments, they're important moments, where somebody is, is telling us in, in the service we have a, a message in tongues, interpretation or something, and somebody begins to prophesy, prophesy that God is God. That he, that, and again, a lot of times prophecy actually brings, brings people to repentance. So God is God. He wants you to turn to him. He wants you to do this stuff. Does that mean a special revelation? No. You just know what God's word is saying, and it's heavy on your heart, and you're verbalizing that. And then he says, but if a, another person receives a revelation from the Lord, the one who is speaking, the one who is prophesying, must stop. Again, it's because we have brains that are attached to our mouths and that God is speaking to us, but we're the ones that are doing the speaking. And we can choose to be quiet and, and recognize, wait a second, this is a special message from God. This is God speaking to us that's different than just God speaking to us through what I'm saying. God can be doing both at the same time and it's, and because one comes from somebody of something that they've studied, that they've been praying about, but the other one is specifically God saying, wait, I want to interrupt what's happening because I want to tell you something specific from me to you. You understand the difference? I feel like the way I said that, there was a little muddy. You're talking about God saying this to us, right? For example, prophecy could very much be the category of what I'm doing right now. I'm speaking to us about God, from God's Word. If, if we had a special moment of, of God's revelation to us, I would be quiet until that person finished talking because God is trying to say something specific. And then afterwards, I probably will finish my message because I know that's what God gave me for this morning. But it's not a specific revelation for a moment. You see the difference in the two. And we're in control of us and we can stop talking. In this way, all who prophesy will have a turn to speak, one after the other, so that, others, so that everyone will learn and be encouraged. And again, that's the reason at the end of the day, it's that we learn and be encouraged. Remember that people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and can take turns. I, that, that shows me right there that, that it's difficult for God to use four-year-olds. But after that, okay. That will sink in later. All right. <clears throat> For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, and as in all meetings, as 
in all the meetings of God's holy people. Now, I've seen that scripture where it's used to say that's why we shouldn't have this stuff because it's just disorder. Except that sentence is the, is the capstone sentence for all the stuff that just came in front of it. You need to have prophecy. You need to have tongues. You need to have these gifts. You need to do this stuff. There needs to be an interpretation. You need to have all this stuff. Why? Because God is a God of order. And he is doing this with us. And if we will follow God, now the taking turns and not speaking over each other is the disorder that we bring to the table. It's not the actual tongues and interpretation and all that stuff. We bring the disorder by being people. But tongues is not disorder. Prophecy is not disorder. Those things are not disorder. Until they get too much where we're losing the focus of what the service is about. You see? So we should be doing, a God of order will have tongues in his service. A God of order will have prophecy in his service. The God of order will have miracles in his service. A God of order will have healing in his service. The God of order will have singing in his service. A God of order will have teaching in his service. You see that? It's weird how the church world has messed this stuff up so much over time. And we actually make it out to be the opposite. Let's jump down, verse 39. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy, and get this, and don't forbid speaking in tongues. Don't forbid speaking in tongues. How do we have churches that have built entire theologies on stopping people from speaking in tongues? Don't forbid people speaking in tongues. Let me, let me throw a little par pastoral parenthetical caveat to here. How dare you as a pastor forbid people speaking in tongues? Now again, as a pastor, I have an obligation to make sure that after two or three messages in tongues, not per people personally praying in the Spirit, but, but a, a specific message in tongues, as a pastor, I have a responsibility to make sure we're, we're moving forward and we're accomplishing what we're supposed to be accomplished. And you guys know me well enough. I'm not shy. I, I'll, I'll do what I need to do. I'm not worried about that. I just, I just would like to have the opportunity. Let's get, let's, get, let's get far enough along that maybe it could be an issue. You, you see what I'm saying? Why? What's the purpose? So we can strengthen each other. We can encourage each other. So that in our pursuit of God, we're helping each other pursue God. In our desire to reach other people, we're helping each other do that. We're missing some very important things in our church. That, that Yes, they do happen every now and then. But not often enough. They just don't. And they need to happen more. Okay. Um, don't, don't forbid speaking in tongues. Be sure that everything is done properly and in order. In other words, speaking in tongues is part of being done properly and in order. Verse, let me, let me kind of recap on a few scriptures I read over the last couple weeks. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 4. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. The way you get empowered is you speak in tongues. That's how you get the empowerment. It's not a sign of the empowerment. It's the empowerment. Now, anytime I say that, I'll have, specifically if you grew up in the Assemblies of God, well, but don't the Assemblies of God we breathe. But listen to what I'm saying. I'm not negating one by adding the other. I'm actually reinforcing. I don't believe that tongues is a sign of empowerment. I believe it is the empowerment. 
I don't believe you're being empowered unless you're praying in tongues. Unless you're praying in the Spirit, you're not actually being empowered. That's how you're empowered. How do I know that? A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. But one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. What then? What should I do? Verse 15. I will pray in the Spirit or tongues. I will pray in tongues. I will also pray in words I understand. I will sing in tongues. This is in church services. I will sing in tongues. I will also sing in words I understand. But when it comes to a corporate gift of tongues, that's the ringing of the bell. God is about to to speak to us. Again, I've said this, and, and I think sometimes, I think you think I'm joking about this. I'm not joking about this. This is actually what's going on. When we have a message in tongues, what that is, is God is saying, I'm about to speak to you. Pay attention. Depending on the size of the group or whatever the case is, that the message in tongues may need to go a while because everybody got to be quiet. That's the point. Stop talking. Now, here, let me explain to you what's going on up here. When we have the band, the full band, I, I really enjoyed the acoustic thing we did this morning. Sam is beautiful on that. I mean, the cello is beautiful. I don't, Sam's not that beautiful, but I, lo- I love it. So our musicians up here, they have in-ear monitors. They have earplugs in their ears, um, speakers in their ears, so they're listening just to what's going on. They can't, if, you, if you started you know, cowbelling it out there, they m- may not hear you because they're have ear. So it's going to take a little bit. Shelby's going to turn around and go so that they know or have a sign, a tongue sign or something. So we know because why? Tongues is to get everybody quiet, including the band. It may take the band a while to wind down. But that's to get everybody quiet because God wants to tell us something. That's what tongues is. That's the corporate gift of tongues. But that's not you singing in tongues and praying in tongues. That should be happening throughout the service. Okay? So then, uh, verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 12. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. Different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it's the same God who does the work in all of us. All the different things that He does through us and all the different gifts, and all this, it's God doing it. It's the Holy Spirit doing it. Okay? He's the one that's in charge of this. Now let's finish it up by going back to verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 13. If I could speak all the languages of earth and angels. Remember? Languages of earth, languages of heaven. That's what tongues is. But didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. this, This is a very important three verses to me. Because this is probably the main reason that I got away from the church and specifically the Pentecostal church uh, when I became a teenager and left home, went to be in the Navy, I, I ran away from God. Because I saw um, gifts of the Spirit. I saw healings. We saw this stuff all the time in churches I grew up in. Supernatural healings, messages in tongues, interpretation, prophecy, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, all that stuff. I saw that stuff all the time growing up. All the time. And then I would watch people tear each other, people, uh, each other apart and gossip and slander and attack tear people down, tear pastors down, pastors tear people down. I saw this stuff ad nauseum because they didn't get the point of it. God was still God and God can use anything including a donkey or a jerk. But at the same time, it it pushed people like me away. And, And I've talked to hundreds and hundreds of people over the years that are the same thing. Guys, 
If we do all of this and we don't understand this is about pursuing God and reaching people, loving God with everything about us and loving people with everything we have, we've missed it. We've missed it. He says, you speak, you speak languages of heaven and earth, but if you don't love, it's just a big noise. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, which none of us do, by the way, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, it would be nothing. I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my own body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. And that's the point. Stand with me if you would. Reiterate three things for us. These are basically the same things I've mentioned over the last few weeks. First thing, desire to be using the gifts. Don't just wait for somebody else to do it. Okay, for uh, most of the time, Jan Bird's in first service. She's, most of the time, she's the one who gives a message or, or something like that. And I think a lot of times we, we can all sense that God's trying to speak to us, but we just wait for Jan. Well, what about the service she's not in? What do we do then? Guys, we're all supposed to be doing this. It's not Jan's responsibility to carry everybody. We're all supposed to be doing this. Desire to be used. Desire the gifts. Number two, remember that you're in control. Number three, we are trying to, to hear God and help each other. That's the point. Even if you get it a little wrong, that's okay. Let's just try. Because why? We're trying to help each other. We're trying to help each other know God and to, and to serve Him and do everything that we possibly can. All right, let's pray. God, we need your help. We need this so much. We need your spirit and your presence. Lord, I know we just don't have this around here. God, I know you're trying to, but I just, I just don't think we're listening or, or we're not being obedient when we do listen. God, help us to not be scared of this. Help us just to, to relax and let you be in charge and do what you want to do. God, we ask for this for your, for your will to be done, for you to do the, the big stuff that you want, to speak to us, to guide us, to lead us. God, we need this. So fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your power. Help us to be the church that you desire us to be. Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed. I know this is going to be outside many of your box. I get this, okay? I, I just, I, I know we need to do this. So, so here's what we're going to do. We're just going to listen to the Lord for a little bit, and um, Marcus did this in first service. He knows what to do here, but we're, we're just going to listen to the Lord a little bit, and if you feel like God is telling you something, we just want you to say it. I just want you to tell us what you think God is saying, and we're all going to do the best we can to just listen to this and then absorb it, evaluate it, see what God is trying to tell us. So we're just going to take a minute or two here, and um, you listen to God and then tell us what you think if God gives you something.
God, we internalize these. God, thank you. Lord, get this into our head, into our spirit. Lord, all these different things. God, I believe they're from you. I believe that you're speaking right now. And so, God, we want to absorb it. We want to we embrace it. We want to chew on it and, and process it this week. God, help us to, to, to listen to you and do what you've said. God, I know you want to bless us. I know you want to take care of us. God, help us to get it us to get it in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. God, I pray that that every one of us in here that will be more open to just what happened here. God, that was so easy. It was so simple. God, help us to be open to this. Just listen to you and just do what you told us. In the name of Jesus. God, thank you so much. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for first using us and then speaking to us. And God, and just confirming to different ones of us of what you've told us and how you, what you're speaking in our hearts. And God, we thank you for this. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity. Let somebody know how much he loves them. He's a pretty big God, and he loves them a whole lot. Tell him. Tell him, and God will honor that in your life. So shake somebody's hand. Hug their neck. Our youth group is going to be back this afternoon. There's, You can see a lot of people. There's youth sponsors, youth group. They've been on a retreat. They're coming back. Um, they should be back this afternoon. I, some, I know some of you are waiting on, the, on your kids. So we will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your week.